Welcome to Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser, and I am very fortunate to be joined again this week by Sandra S.J. Petty, Newsday investigative reporter, author of a new book called Sunny, The Last of the Old Mob Bosses. Uh, she's working on a book that's coming out in March. It's a it's going to be a blockbuster. It's going to be really, really good. And she's joined with uh, Dan Pearson, a friend of mine, uh, author, one of the authors of The Last Don Standing, uh, producer of uh, music, films, videos, you name it. He's got a few projects of his own cooking right now. So uh, I appreciate uh, both of you coming back on the show. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, Sandra, we've heard the term uh, the sins of the father visited on the sons, and we've been talking about John Sonny Francais, uh, underboss of the Colombo crime family, 103 years old, did 50 years in prison, went back to prison at the age of 93. You were fortunate enough to interview him, but one of the things that kind of sticks out here is the stories about uh, his two sons, uh, John Jr. and Michael, his <laughs> stepson. Um, walk us through kind of that relationship, if you could. Well, you know, Sonny was renowned for being a tough guy and never rolling. And But the one weakness, his one weakness was his family. Mm -hmm. He absolutely loved his family. Michael Francis is his adopted son. He, he is the son of Sonny's second wife, Tina Capobianco, who has since passed, who was a beautiful stylish, strong-willed, and smart woman. And she married Sonny when he was married to his first wife. They broke up. And after they got married, when she got home from the honeymoon, she discovered that he had three children from his first wife, and she was expected to take care of them. Mm. But before long, she had a son, John Francis Jr., who was the favorite of, son of both Tina and Sonny's. And he was a happy, energetic child, he grew up, though, not really understanding his family. He didn't know why his family was different. Nobody really did. It wasn't until Michael was inducted into the family. He, as he tells the story, they opened the books. Yeah. And he sat down, John, who was then 16, and he explained the whole life to him. And for John, it was a revelation because he really didn't understand it. They went on. Uh, and Sonny was a great father. He was a great father. Michael got involved making a lot of money in a gas tax scam on Long Island where they were skimming off the sales tax from gas stations all over the island. Yeah. They were making millions of dollars. He built a huge mansion in Brookville, and I think Dan uh, had been there. Oh, I've been and, there. And you, you recall what it was like, Dan? <laughs> the table um, in the dining room was $90,000. <laughs> then, this yeah. is some years back, the, um, there's a racquetball court in the house. It was just an amazing house. I mean, it was, it was more than a house. Uh, you know, again, John and I were best friends. And I love John. When you're looking at John, you're looking at Sonny, like spit an image. His intellect, extraordinarily smart, extraordinarily smart. But he fell into drugs. And when he was high, he was a much different person. When he was chasing the high, he was a much different person. Mm. Um, 
Unfortunately, when her sister Gia died, John disappeared. Mm. And the family was looking for him. And, you know, they had reached out to me, Mr. Francis reached out to me to find him. And I found him in a theater that, um, that they, that they owned, associated with, affiliated with, however you want to put it. Mm. Um, it's my first time really talking about the intricacies of the ownership of the theater. So I'm, so bear with me a little here because there were many people involved and who was involved, didn't even know who, who didn't know who was who and it was just a lot. So I found John under a desk, high on crack. So I had to get him home, get him cleaned up before I got him to, to the funeral, get him to my place, cleaned up and brought him down to make his sister's funeral. But that's an indictment on drugs. I don't want to indict him on that because I love John. Yeah. I love John today. You know, my life is different because of the Francis family and John Francis also. So I may, I, I may come across a little reverent, but the way I see them is much different than the average, average person, average citizen. Yeah. So Sandra, how did, um, how did Sonny view Michael? Let's start with Michael first. Michael was uh, uh, organized crime figure of himself, of his own. Uh, like I said, I grew up and started my career on Long Island, and uh, he was uh, notorious for that gas tax scheme out there and the millions of dollars that he made. Uh, front, pa front page headlines in Newsday all the time. Uh, Bob Green was one of the reporters back then, uh, investigative reporter, great reporter. Uh, did a lot of stuff on him. You've done a lot of stuff uh, about them, but get, break them down for me. John's thoughts, Sonny's thoughts about Michael first and then about John Jr. Uh, Sonny loved Michael. He called him a good son, but he said sometimes he was too smart for his own good. Damn. And he was angry about the gas tax scam. Michael was able to bring paper bags with literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to them in them to the bosses. So he kept the bosses very happy. He was riding high. And, you know, literally this mansion in Brookville smelled of gas because he had so many bags of money from the gas stations. And but Sonny didn't like it. Sonny kept warning him, you're going to get us pinched. This is too much money. It's too showy. And sure enough, he did. And Sonny's then mistress, Gina, at the time warned him. She said, Michael's not going to stand up. He's you. You got to You got to worry about this. He's not going to stand up. Yeah. And he didn't. No. He he cut a deal. He likes to say today that the only person he gave up was Norby Walters, who was a nightclub owner who was close to the Francis family, and he wasn't a made guy, so therefore he really didn't count. Mm. But in fact, according to law enforcement investigators, Michael gave them information about organized crime figures all over the country. Because Michael was the guy they would send as their emissary to places like Philadelphia, Denver, Chicago, because he's a very articulate, yeah. intelligent, handsome guy. And he he rolled. He went to prison. 
And he left the life, as I'm sure most people know, he left the life in the 90s. He fell in love with another woman, moved to California, and he has become an evangelical pastor. Mm. And he's turned the mob into something of a personal brand. He's got quite a following. And I've listened to his sermons, and they really resonate with people. His basic message is, hey, if I can be saved, so can you. Yeah. Sandra, let me tell you a quick story. Um, About a year and a half ago, uh, my stepson invited me to a church up in Lancaster County where he lives. And Michael was the guest preacher that day. So I went up and I sat in the audience with my wife and uh, we listened to Michael. We're both Christians. Michael gave an unbelievable sermon and afterward was signing books outside. And there's a big, huge line. And he was signing up, so I, I got in the line. I wasn't. I, I didn't. I have the book, so I didn't really need to get the book. But I stood in line, and I got up to the front. There's maybe still four or five people behind me, and I said, "Michael, Dave Schratweiser. I'm a reporter for Fox in Philadelphia. I do mob talk with George Anastasia, and a couple of things." And he he took a quick step back and gave me the look, like, "Okay, I wasn't expecting you here today." Uh, but I told him, I said it was a great sermon, um, and, and it is. Basically, don't do what I did. Don't put yourself in the position I put myself in. Just don't do it. And uh, he's very good at what he does, and he's a clear YouTube sensation now. Uh, He just did a big thing with Sammy the Bull on uh, Patrick Bet David's uh, entertainment, valuetainment show, and and he's he's quite a a captivating fact, uh, a person, I should say. You know what that is? You make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. <laughs> Take what you have. A smart, yeah. a smart good fella always finds a way. He made his past pay for his future. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And he's and he's doing I don't have anything. Yeah. I don't have anything bad to say about him. Yeah. But you segue in life. And he was smart enough to segue. People always ask me if I think his faith is real, and I certainly can't put myself in a position of judging someone else's faith. Mm -hmm. But when you ask John, his younger brother, about it, John says, who cares? He's doing good things with his life. Who cares? And I think John's right. And John, the younger brother, uh, Michael and John really love each other. They haven't did not see people see each other for a long time because John, as John said, became a desperate drug addict for years, living on the street. Uh, his mother would always give him some new sneakers that he would sell for the next hit. And he went days without bathing and he ultimately contracted HIV. Yeah. And he, uh, moved to California and the great revelation of California was there are porta potties. This was a step up for a guy who had been living on the streets in New York. Yeah. And he managed to get straight, get sober. And he was putting together a TV show on his own Mm. and guys back East were saying, Hey, we want a piece of this. And it made him mad. And there was an FBI agent, Rob Lewicki, who used to call John periodically, because that's what the FBI does. They make calls, cold calls, every now and then, Mm -hmm. hoping that one of these times, one of these calls is going to hit. You got it. And he managed to catch John while he was home. 
uh, at his mother's house and it, things were pretty dire at the time because his mother was a spendthrift. The house was about to go into foreclosure. He was worried about Sonny uh, going back to prison. And then he knew the house would go into foreclosure because at least when Sonny was home, the bills would get paid. And he agreed to wear a wire against his father, his uncle, his cousins. Now, it was never explicitly said, we want you to wear a wire against your father, but everybody understood that he was the big fish. And when you read the transcripts, um, for me, one of the saddest parts about this is one of the reasons the only person Sonny ever let his guard down with was John. And he was trying to set him up. He was trying to get him set up in the life so he would be okay after he was gone. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, Sonny was arrested for extortion and uh, about eight counts in New York, a couple of pizzerias, I think, and a strip club. Uh, I think a lot of people might remember the strip club scores. Yeah. Big story and that in was New York. A, yeah. yeah, that was a it was a very big club. And well, they were shaking it down. In any case, Sonny was indicted and John testified against him. Sonny at the time was 93. And John was great on the stand. Dan's right. John is an engaging guy. He's smart. He's charming. And he was a great witness. And as a result of his testimony, Sonny went back to prison, yeah. the place he hated more than any other place in the world back to prison for eight more years at the age of 93. You know, let me interject there. Mm -hmm. um, when he was wearing that wire and the phone was tapped, uh, I asked him, why not me? He said, listen, if I answered the phone, it would have been you. I didn't take your calls purposely. Tell me it's a couple of years ago in Los Angeles. Hmm. So I was around when that happened, when a lot of people, a lot of people got pinched. Um, he could have locked me up too. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, you can have a, a innocuous conversation, but it can be portrayed as something else because there are other people on that call. Hmm. Depends on who you're talking to and who you're associated with. And that's why, you know, I feel so close to making this movie because I knew the man, I knew the people, I knew the people involved. I still know some of the people, I still know a lot of people involved. Hey, Sandra, let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, clearly, Sonny had a, a very warm spot in his heart for John Jr. Uh, I don't know if it was one of the FBI agents, someone you interviewed in the Newsday documentary talked about uh, Sonny being at one of John's baseball games. And uh, he didn't get a hit all day long, if I understand correctly. And uh, his last out, he hit, and he kind of ran his ass off to first base, didn't beat the throw, and was kind of hanging his head after the game. And Sonny came over, and I'll let you finish the story, uh, did something to kind of boost his son up after a miserable day on the baseball field. He, he said, listen, listen, don't be ashamed. You fought your heart out. You, you tried as hard as you could, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. And you, I, I don't remember the exact quote. You might remember it because you might have seen it. But 
he was he was that kind of supportive father. Another time when John went to visit him in prison, the first time he went to prison for the bank robbery mm-hmm. conspiracy, that he said he, he wasn't never involved. Did, right? yep. He went they went to Leavenworth. And Leavenworth is an imposing building with lots of stairs. And you know, he he walked up to John was all of he was, I think, nine. And it was 10. He was 10 when they went to visit him. And he looks up those stairs and he started crying for his father. And somehow Sonny saw him. And when he got into the prison, Sonny sort of cuffed him on the on the cheek and he said, Listen, son, don't worry about crying. If you want to cry, cry with your head up. So he was always incredibly supportive of his children. And I, you may know that John, after testifying against his father, w- disappeared into the witness protection program. The very program that was started because of Sonny Francis sheltered his favorite son. Yeah. And so for years, John didn't talk. Well, his mother sneak calls to him in witness protection. But for the most part, he didn't talk to anyone he knew. And he changed his name and he moved all over the place. And then in June of 2017, when I wrote the story about Sonny getting out of prison at age 100, it went around the the Internet and someone alerted people and said, I know where John Francis is and I know his name in witness protection. It's Matt Pazzarelli and he lives in Indianapolis. And the U.S. Marshals called him up and said, we're moving you. And they, by the way, don't give you a couple of days to wrap up your affairs or anything like that. you got to move right when they tell you. And John had been diagnosed with uh, throat dysplasia. He thought he was going to die. And he was afraid he was going to die without seeing his family. And he went back and forth and he said, can I take my cat? And they said, no. And he said, okay, I'm not doing it. Then they called him back and they said, you can take the cat. (laughs) And he said, you know what? I want to sign out. He signed out of the witness protection program. And after that, about a year later, he took a secret trip to New York City mm. to visit his father in the nursing home. Yeah. And understand, John's lost a lot of weight. He looks like a different man. Yeah. And initially, Sonny didn't recognize him. Yeah. But he had that moment where he was able to talk to his father. And his father said, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? And he said, Dad, I wasn't testifying against you. I was testifying against the life. So he had that moment of reconciliation, and it meant a lot to him. Yeah, Dan, tell me about that. Since you're close to John, I mean, how much of a huge deal was that for him to go see his father and kind of, I don't want to say the word make amends here, but I will, and, and kind of come to pe- <laughs> come to peace with the whole thing and, and, and at least hear his father. Uh, I think the one interview I saw, Sandra, you did with John, he, he just wanted to hear his father say he still loved him. Uh, Dan, how important was that to John? Everything. Mm. He revered his father. And it's, John is his father's favorite person. I mean, you know, John would do something wrong. He would, he would forgive him. He could do the ultimate wrong. Mm. He would forgive him. I mean, you know, when you look at John, you're looking at Sonny. John was Sonny without the drugs. Mm-hmm. Extraordinarily smart, fast, quick, caring, loving, funny. Uh, he just loved his father. You know, you take away everything else, they're father and son. You add the other shit, it's, it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. 
I knew it was going to happen. I foretold it. I wrote it. I wrote it down two years before it happened. It's but you know you take all that away, it's still just a father and a son. Yeah. They just had that love for each other. But you know when I was at the funeral, Michael nor John were there. They couldn't go to their own father's funeral. Yeah, that's what I was is... going to ask you about. That it kind of, you know, talk about that. At the end, Michael and John didn't go to their dad's funeral when he passed away. No. Well, hold on. Carmine was there. Lorraine okay. was there. Marianne yeah. was there. His first family was there. Yeah. It's, it's 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 crazy that the first family has outlived the second family. <laughs> Young Tina is gone. Gia is gone. John is sick. Carmine is healthy. Lorraine is healthy. Marianne is healthy. They were there. I was there. After Sonny died, I, I spoke with Michael, and he, you know, he's a strong guy, but he was devastated. He was crushed. He had a really hard time with it. Uh, I also spoke with John, and John was more philosophical. You know, one of the things about the Francis family that I don't think a lot of people understand is they're all very spiritual in their own way. And John is full of affirmations, and, and he reads a lot of philosophy, and he studies Eastern religions. He was much more philosophical about it. In a way, it, it felt like him, I think, as an opportunity for him to come into his own because mm -hmm. he's always lived in his father's shadow. But there's something. a deep love there. Here's something that's weird. It just dawned on me. From a second family, he has no grandchildren. John, Tina, and Gia never had children. Well, Michael does. Michael does. Michael. I'm talking about biologically. Right, right. Biologically, Sonny never had grandchildren from his second family. It just dawned on me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Sandra, um, your interviews with him, with Sonny in the, in the nursing home, um, out of all those interviews, I think you said six, correct? Um, yeah. Give me kind of one moment that made Sandra Petty sit back and go, wow, like the wow moment. I know that's a lot to ask because you did hours and hours, <laughs> but was there something that kind of, uh, I don't know, a soundbite, uh, uh, something he said kind of that will always stay in your mind about Sonny Francis? Well, this, I, you know, I hate to say this because it's not terribly it's profound, lot, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty funny. One moment, I, you know, I was talking with him and our videographer walked away to get a, a cup of coffee or a fork or something because I always brought him food. I figured yeah, I would yeah, yeah, yeah. feed him. <laughs> and the minute he walked away, Sonny turned like that and he said, Say, you married? I said, Yeah, Sonny, I'm married. And he goes, Ah, oh, too bad. I'd take you out to lunch when I get out of here. Yeah. He was 102 yeah. in a wheelchair with a litany <laughs> of physical ailments and he's hitting on me. And it just. It just it reminded me that we are who we are. And as old as he was, he wasn't gone. He no. was still sunny. Yeah. And I loved his zest for life. 
He was a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. But in every one of his stories, he won the fight. He got the girl. He yeah. got the better part of the business yeah. deal. Yeah. You know? He's always, always the winner, right? Yeah. 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 Hey, Dan, your, your thoughts uh, about Sonny? Um, the book's going to be coming out. You're working on a film. Uh, just what's the kind of one thing that Dan Pearson will always remember about Sonny Francis? I love the guy. Um, you're only as good as your network. And he gave me access to his network. And because he gave me access, I was able to take care of my family. Yeah. I appreciate that. Sandra, um, can you rank Sonny for me in uh, the world of mob bosses in New York? Um, I, I've been covering organized crime for 40 years, about, uh, from John Riggy, the head of the Calvacanti family, uh, the Eagle in Jersey, uh, John Gotti, I remember trying to park on the street outside his uh, social club and being told by his uh, minions to move along, son, when I was a young reporter. Um, I covered uh, parts of Angelo Bruno here in Philadelphia, Nicky Scarfo in Philadelphia, John Stanford here in Philadelphia, Ralph Natale, Joey Merlino. There's a lot of mob bosses who have made a, uh, an imprint uh, over the years, uh, just kind of where you think Sonny is in that history of the mafia in New York. Well, I'm not sure I'm as expert as you on this. Well, you know, know that, but, yeah. I'm just a, a reporter from Minnesota who really didn't know much about anything Who's about the mafia. Done a pretty until damn good I'm... job with this story, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> well, thank you. But I think um, had Sonny not gone away to prison, he would have been the boss of the Columbus. There's no question about that. Mm. And his story is the great unsung story, the great untold story, because he was away in prison. And, and you know, for all the, the, the myth that the mafia takes care of their people when they go away, nobody took care of Sonny no. or his family. No. It, it's a pretty hard life. And he, uh, a, an assistant U.S. attorney said this, and I, I think she was right, that he was largely responsible for the glamorization of the mafia in the 60s and the 70s. Remember, movie producers were approaching him about doing a movie about his life in the 80s, is, and I believe the 70s, definitely the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. He was approached all the time. So he was the guy who made the mob glamorous. And he wasn't even trying. Yeah. That's what was so remarkable about him. Yeah. Dan, I'll give you the last word. Um, this is going to be a good book. It, it's going to get a lot of attention. Uh, you're working on a film, uh, putting that together. Uh, tell us why we should be so fascinated here at the end with Sonny Francis. He's the ultimate bad guy. With glamour. With... Uh, with a smile, he didn't even wink. He didn't even wink. When the guy's at the Copa, if the place is packed, his, his table's on the stage. Impeccable dresser, the smile, the schmooze. And one of the things people didn't know, he was friends with Bugsy Siegel. <laughs> the guy was the guy. The guy from, from 1917 to 2020, who didn't he know? 
Al Capone used to hang out at his father's plate, at his father's bar. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he runs the gamut. The guy was the guy. And there's never going to be another guy like that guy. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. He is the last one. Okay. Listen, I, I, I want to wish both of you a lot of success, Sandra, with the book. Thank you. Dan, Thank with you. the movie, whatever, however it all turns out, uh, I'm sure it's going to be exactly. dynamite. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, to a good read when it comes out. And uh, I greatly appreciate the both of you coming on the show. Um, it's a little early to be promoting the book, but uh, it's such a great story. And I'm a New York native. I grew up on Long Island. I remember these guys. We'll come back. And uh, you should come back when the book is ready to go and the film is ready to go. But, but I greatly appreciate the stories. Sandra, fantastic work on this. Uh, Thank you. Hey, listen, let me give you a little kind of taste of it if you want to go on youtube and watch parts of the newsday documentary on on sunny uh it's captivating and it's a really really great story and uh, i thank both of you for coming on thank, thank you, you. Tag, tag me on it all right man <laughs> sounds good all right, all right folks <laughs> all right, listen, that's another episode of philly prime again i greatly appreciate sandra petty for coming on and dan pearson uh good people a great story and uh, i look forward to seeing this in print and uh, up on the big screen Thanks again for joining us on Philly Prime. Have a great week.